0: This is Reforming Thomas, the Baptist Presbyterian. Mr. Sandman, I overslept. Hey, howdy, folks. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, hope this finds you well. Um, I woke up to a computer that restarted on me and lost the first 15 minutes of this episode, so that was great. Uh serves me right for trying to get ahead of the game, though, right? That's not how this works. So, I guess you'll get the uninterrupted version of it. I was feeling so ahead of myself, I felt on top of things. Uh, just because I was in a really good mood yesterday morning, and I thought, I could get 15 minutes of this thing you know, laid down and ready. So... Uh, with that said hey why don't you take a second hit like and subscribe leave a five star review if you're gonna leave a you know one star review make sure it's really compelling um much appreciated uh you know everything helps uh you know i i think this podcast is getting better i think you could say of me that he's doing his best uh, that he's trying with the limited resources and and, and cognitive skills that he has. Uh, and you know, I think in this world where mediocrity is celebrated, we, you, should, you should celebrate me and really get me out there, really get my, really get my name out there, everyone. Um, so uh, with that said, the uh, first thing I wanted to talk about in this episode, uh, this is what I recorded yesterday, so hopefully I, I feel better about today than I did yesterday but I felt awfully good about yesterday. <sighs> I, might, I might whine about that a little bit. Uh, it is the season for Christmas movies. Uh, now, when I was a child, I watched Mickey's Christmas Carol, like, on repeat. Uh, even though Pete the Cat smoking a stogie and throwing uh, Scrooge McDuck into a... Uh, smoky grave was one of the most terrifying things I had ever seen at five years old didn't matter watched that over and over and over and over again um but I'm not a child anymore all right I can't be taking up my time with childish things so I watch the Muppet Christmas Carol now I know advanced uh It has to be, that's probably my, you know, we're not going to do this in any kind of order. It is my number one Christmas movie. It is the movie that I have to watch every season. Um, And honestly, it's a movie that if I needed to, I would watch any time of the year. The music's fun. I love, I've always, you know, I've loved the Muppets since I was a little kid. Uh, You know, and uh, the thing that really makes it is that Michael Caine just... He treated the whole movie like he was performing for the Royal Shakespeare Company. He didn't go in and say, well, I'm doing some silly children's movie, so I just need to get through it and get my paycheck. Um, He went in, and he didn't just go in saying, well, I'm just going to go have some fun with the Muppets. I think think either would be completely understandable. Uh, But he went in and said, I'm going to play Ebenezer Scrooge as if it was is as, as if it's the final portrayal as if it's the one that everyone's going to know forever and everyone may know it forever you know i have a i have one little artistic goal in my life that i would like to someday do either a one man show or a live reading of a christmas carol around the holidays and i i think i'd prefer to do it as a live reading um, just because i i don't want to i i don't think i want to put the specific amount of work into it that goes into a one-man show. Uh, And I think it's just as compelling read well. Uh, But that's something I've always wanted to do. And so about this time of year, I'll start to remember lines from the book that I do already know. And because of A Muppet Christmas Carol, I start out in my mind saying, the Marleys were dead to begin with. You guys, there's only one Marley. And the Muppets have influenced me to the point that I can't imagine they're not being two. You know, if Marley's. If the Marley's aren't Statler and Waldorf, who are they? Um, so that's that's my number one. Uh, I was asked, you know, am I going to mention Die Hard in this conversation? And yeah, I'm happy to. Here's the thing: like I was introduced to Die Hard as an adult on deployment around Christmas time. It will always be a Christmas movie to me, but do I watch it every year? No, not always in the mood for that. Not watching that with my kids, you know, it's 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 not the same. And and the and the thing is that maybe you like me have read that you know Die Hard was not included in the Christmas canon until uh, Constantine put it there at the Council of Nicaea in 325. You know, it's it's contested in its in its Christmas canonicity and uh and so we just have to we have to treat it as apocryphal is all i'm saying uh it's not that it doesn't have its own value as a as a movie made by humans but uh but it is apocryphal okay looking at you baron von strauss all right uh other one big ones for me holiday inn has that one scene that's very unfortunate but otherwise, it's it's just the song and dance and that thing are amazing. Um, and uh, finally stayed awake <laughs> through most of the latest Grinch movie. It's been out for a few years now, I think. The one with Benedict Cumberbatch voicing the Grinch. And, uh, you know, you can't beat Boris Karloff in the 20-minute original. Uh, but my wife and my kids both like that version of the grinch and i've i've just never stayed awake during it it's not a like or dislike so i finally stayed awake longer and i liked the backstory that they gave the grinch in that version i thought it was very compelling much better than the jim carrey mess you know so there you go Um, one day i may watch the whole thing yeah how about that Uh, finally here i know there are people who love bad Christmas movies, like bad as in Hallmark schmaltzy, two blonde people falling in love as the snow falls. Um, and there are people who that's their guilty pleasure, and they love doing that every year. They watch, they watch like twenty of those different things. Uh, there are people who absolutely hate them. I'm somewhere in between. Once, once a year, about we will go looking through you know the long list on Prime. Uh, of of bad Christmas movies we can watch. And a few years ago, we ran across one called Christmas Cupcakes. Now, I'm not here to tell you that Christmas Cupcakes is a good movie, because it's not. (laughs) Oh my. I'm not here to tell you that I like that movie, because I'm not sure I do. But it's become a golden family tradition. Because in this movie for the last 15 minutes or so the main characters enter a televised baking competition and the judges are just off the wall hilarious and then it makes the other characters in the in the movie better too it makes them funnier and and we've just gotten stuck with it and you know my wife said the other day cuz we we watched it already this year and my wife said, you know, the first time we saw this, so many things just didn't make sense. And I couldn't put some things together. But now that I've watched it a few times, it makes less sense. It still doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. None of the plot points play out. Nothing that they say makes sense. I don't get it. Um, and, and it's just... So I, I highly recommend that you watch this movie. I can't guarantee that you'll like it. <laughs> But it's, it's become a tradition for us. Now, the other Christmas movie that we found that way, that we will never go back to, was called The Christmas Lodge. And this is the ultimate problem with most everything anymore, right? It's theology everywhere in any kind of popular media, even up to and including a Hallmark movie. The theology is always so bad. So in Christmas Lodge, there's a scene... This is, I think, the scene where we turned it off. But the kids still quote this line every so often when they want to make everyone cringe. There's a scene where, you know, it's like, you know, you've got young blonde guy and his dad won't fix up the lodge. But his dad, grandpa, is in the hospital and dying. And so dad is sitting in the hospital with grandpa and he's talking about how we can't put the money into the money's not worth it to fix up that old lodge dad i can't do it and grandpa looks at son at dad at dad and says well i know of a carpenter who would have helped to fix the lodge and dad looks at grandpa and says well i can't argue with scripture I know people who are wibbly-wobbly on the authority and inerrancy of scripture who, upon hearing that line, have said, oh, no, that's not okay. <laughs> that's, that's not cool. <laughs> oh, so bad. So I don't recommend Christmas Lodge <laughs> unless you want to just really feel the cringe. But uh, there you go. So, all right, let me see how I can do with this next topic. I want to talk about what I'm entitling How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Reformers um, and I hope I I hope I represent well here because the text of scripture that I'm going to reference I've never really heard used to discuss Calvinism or Reformed theology at all uh, but it was a, like a, a light bulb text for me Uh, when I was a a young pastor. So, a little background. Uh, You know, I I didn't just come into Reformed theology uh, yesterday. You know, we're we're very new to Presbyterian, to this Presbyterian church, Um, but, you know, I would have called myself a Reformed Baptist for about the last 10 years or so of my life, at least, if not a little bit more. Um, And and so it's it's not totally new, and and where it really started for me, you know, we weren't really told about Calvinism as a system of theology growing up, um, but but neither was it something that people railed against. I wasn't really aware that it existed. Um, I think now as a grown up, looking back and and knowing some of the folks in the church we grew up in um, through through new adventures they've gone on and, and different churches they've become a part of. Uh, I I do think there were some people in that church, the one I primarily grew up in, I do think there were some people in that church who were vehemently opposed to the idea of Calvinism. That if we had talked about it, they would have said, and this is why being a Calvinist will send you to hell. I'm positive that 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 was a sentiment somewhere in that church. But never came up, was never discussed. Uh, so when I was uh, headed off to college the first time uh, before the Navy, my dad was driving me across the state and I don't remember exactly how we got into it, but I, but I remember he made some comment or told some joke and I said, dad, what, what is Calvinism? What is this? Tell me about this. And, and I think my dad did a, a decent job that day for a guy who, I don't think, embraced reform doctrine at all at the time, uh, I thought he did a decent job looking back. I don't remember everything he said, but, uh, but nothing rings false. Uh, and and I, he was very gracious about it, and he, he, he talked through Tulip uh, and explained to me, very graciously, that you know there were parts of that he agreed with, and parts of it he didn't feel he could agree with. And and that was that. And so maybe could have been more thorough, but, you know, why would you expect someone who doesn't embrace that theology to be more thorough talking to his son on a car ride across the state? Um, and, you know, it was still, I think at that time, a little more verboten in the SBC to to be reformed. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the first the first little introduction and then i didn't really i didn't really touch that that again until i was deployed to afghanistan so that conversation with my dad would have been 2002 and maybe i ran across a thing or two here or there here and there but uh, i was in afghanistan for most of 2010 and like the first 3 months of 2011 And my time in Afghanistan, I I didn't go with a bunch of other people. I, like, showed up and was put into a command. And then that command changed over, like, three times while I was there. So I went through a lot of different people. And one day, a new chaplain showed up. And this chaplain was endorsed by the UCC. uh, But he told me that he really would describe himself as Dutch Reformed. Now, having met some other Dutch Reformed folks... And listened to some other Dutch Reformed folks. I I don't think they would claim him. <laughs> I think there was a reason that his endorsement came from the UCC and not from somewhere else. Um, just a lot of a lot of questionable things about his theology. A lot of questionable things that about things he did later on. That uh, uh, I'm just gonna say, as far as I know, that chaplain is in jail right now. Uh, but he was very committed to introducing me because I helped in the chapel uh, at the command. It wasn't my job, but I did it every Sunday, so I spent a lot of time with this chaplain. And he was very committed to, uh, I'm going to teach you about Calvinism. You know, that's that's what I'm going to do. That's that's the goal. And while I was in Afghanistan, I I had you know, come to the place where I knew I was going to get out. Uh, I was going to get out of the Navy. I was going to go to seminary and I was going to go from there. And so he knew that about me and he he tried to build me up in whatever ways he could. And one of the things he said right before I left uh, Afghanistan was, you need to decide, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? He gave me a little book called The Five Points of Calvinism. It was more of a, like a pamphlet. It wasn't very extensive. And i read it but it was probably one of the worst introductions Uh, basically it was here's total depravity with scripture proofs and therefore ulip just you should see that the first one is true and therefore the rest of them are true that's not a good argument it's just not uh, not a good way to teach teach tulip to somebody um, and so I went, I, I did, you know, understand and, and, and much like my father before me, I, 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 recognized the things about that, that I could embrace and, and, and accept and the things that I was going to have to struggle through. Uh, and so as I went, you know, listening to other pastors and, and, and reading and getting ready to go to seminary, I ran across some articles, uh, from some different Baptist professors and, you know, I think Baptists are really good at the tertium quid. We probably invented the tertium quid around the time that John the Baptist was handing Paul his commemorative KJV on the way out of the baptistry. You know, like that's probably about when we figured that one out. And so I found all these articles that basically were saying not Calvinist, not Arminian, but Baptist. Because that third option makes us Gives us the out right where we can really ride the fence we can love everybody we can just do our thing um but you know like 99 percent of the time that means our you know it's just it is it is It's what it means like <laughs> almost every time so i i enjoyed that kind of you know i still i still was toying with it i was still reading i was still studying and and, and figuring it out but i didn't have to commit to anything um And while we would all probably decry that as a really bad introduction uh, to reformed doctrine, uh, I think it kept me from hitting any kind of a cage stage. So I'm not going to complain about it. So I entered the pastorate following the Navy and I kept coming across passages where I would preach and then throughout the next week, and, and I'm a young pastor, and I did prep, and I did do all this stuff, but uh, but you don't always know. Like, I was doing seminary at the time. There's ma- great arguments to be had for pastors to do seminary first, to be a little older, to to push through. Like, I, I don't think I was doing a bad job preaching, but I would throughout the week following a couple of sermons stop and think, did I just preach Calvinism? <laughs> Like, where am I at? I I can't I can't tell what I did this week. And I'd have to kind of restudy my own sermon sometimes. Not every time, but sometimes. And you know, I'm I called my dad once. I said, Hey, I, this is how I handle this text. What do you think? And you go, Thomas, I am a practitioner of the gospel, not a theologian. Are you preaching the gospel? Just preach the gospel. And okay, I appreciate that. But it didn't help me understand where I was at. Um, and, you know, one of the other things my dad had said over the years, my dad's, you know, my dad's a good guy, you know, like the guy. Uh, you know, for being a Baptist, he had said both to me and my brother at different times, hey, uh, if you're looking for something to read, anything from R.C. Sproul, you can take to the bank. So I'm reading a little bit of Sproul. I'm reading The Holiness of God. Um, I have this big shift in my understanding of God's sovereignty Kind of helps this big shift in my understanding of my relationship to God as a, as a wretch, as a totally depraved human being, one that does not, you know, there's none who seeks after righteousness. No, not one. And there's this perfectly holy God. Okay. That, that definitely started shaping some things for me. Um, and so I, d- I dug into it more and more, but I still was kind of keeping my distance, right? Cause the five salas are easy. Who doesn't doesn't at least say they agree with those? You know, like you you read the five solas off and people are like, yes, I affirm. And then you get you dig deeper and they're like, well, the Bible has some good ideas, but it's not authoritative in everything, you know. And so but, you know, so five solas easy. Uh, But Tulip, like, what would people think? And there's too much actor ego in this guy for me to not care deeply on some level how i'm viewed and talked about Uh, i'm better now than i was but that's always in there so so here's where here's where the light bulb came on and like i said this is not a text that i've heard used for this purpose and I didn't get as many notes written down this morning as I wanted about it. I was going to spend some time doing it until I woke up and found that 15 minutes of my episode were deleted. Keep having to check over just in case my... I don't want this episode to go away, everyone. So I was preparing a sermon, and this would have been, you know, 11, 12 years ago. I was preparing a sermon on Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Sheep and the Goats. And. I was reminded of this song, you know, I, I don't know, I, I've never really dug in that deep on Keith Green, the, the singer, the little bit I've read, you know, it kind of appears like he was a pretty stalwart guy. But, you know, he he was platformed when he was still very young in the faith, and I think that comes through in some of his music. Uh, it would have been interesting to see his theology develop uh, if he had if he had lived longer because you know some of the some of his songs are are really really moving and some of his songs I would always sit there and think uh, what 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 did you just sing uh, and some of them had kind of a it's kind of an attitude to them but he has a song uh, based on this text where for the most part he just reads the text uh, of, of this parable with him, with playing music underneath it. And he kind of over-dramatizes, you know, the sheep and he over-dramatizes the goats and the, the sheep sound like pure angels and the, the goats sound like sniveling, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, he gets very, very big and dramatic, uh, when he, when he's the voice of, 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 of Jesus in, in the song. And, uh, It's one of those things that as as an actor and as a performer, I I had to listen to like 12 times because I and I had to go find videos of him doing the song because I just. The delivery, uh, I don't like it, (laughs) I don't I don't find it to be like uh, honest and genuine uh, acting or, you know, and maybe he wasn't intending to act either. You know, that's fine. Uh, but it, either way, I did not find I do not find it genuine. I don't find it honest. And when I when I see or hear stuff like that, I usually end up watching that performance more more than I would watch, you know, Michael Caine as Scrooge giving a genuine Scrooge performance. I'll watch I'll watch the the schmaltzy thing about twelve times just to try to understand why that happened. And what was going on in that actor's process or in that performer's process so uh, the the key to, to his song on this passage is that at the end you know after you know going to the sheep and whatever you did unto the least of unto the least of these you did unto me and to the goats as you did not do it to the least of these you did not do it to me uh at the end of the song keith green very emphatically says, and the only difference between these two groups is what they did and didn't do. And that struck me very wrong. Uh, And that's not why I went to preach this passage 12 years ago, but it was definitely pretty loud in my head. Uh, Is that the difference between the sheep and the goats? i don't think it is for one yes it is true that faith without works is dead that there should be fruit right that you can see the fruit of a christian in their in their life and in their walk and in the the work that they're doing you can see that fruit you can see the works that are there that's that's the thing uh but it's also true that an atheist can put a dollar in the Salvation Army pot and feel good about it. You know, there's there are atheists who give to charity, who volunteer their time, who 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 adopt orphans, who, who do all those things. Uh, and we are taught emphatically in Scripture, not only that faith without works is dead, but that it is not by your works it is by grace you have been saved not of works not not of not of anything you can boast about uh, and to to boil the parable of the sheep and the goats which is really it's really a par- it's really explaining the final judgment that's what this is really about it's not about my journey into calvinism <laughs> you know <laughs> uh to boil that down to something that's, if if he was not teaching works righteousness in that song, it sounded an awful lot like he was. Uh, so. So I got to thinking as I'm as I'm preparing through this this text, and I I think well. Sorry, I lost my place here. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Here's the thing. This is going to blow your mind. I'm about to say something really deep and profound. Sheep aren't goats. They never were goats they're never going to be goats they're they're not goats goats aren't sheep goats don't get to decide to become sheep it's not the way it works a goat is a goat from the beginning and i really did myself a disservice this morning i had uh, i had the westminster confession of faith chapter 3 pulled up and then i left it I left it at my new office because I was reading it yesterday on my lunch break. Um, But, you know what? I'm even just going to pause my recording. I'm going to do it live. I'm going to say I'm pausing my recording, and I'm going to pull it up here. Okay. Oh, hey, I think that worked. You know, I mean, this technology is simple, but pausing for a second to look something up, uh, it's a little nerve-wracking. All right, so Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 3 of God's eternal decree. Uh, And this is section three. I'm going to read section three, four, and five, I think here. So section three, by the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death. Section four, these angels and men are Thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Section five, those of mankind that are predestinated unto life, God before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace it's a lot of words i may have even missed a sentence in there i apologize i just kept reading uh and i'm not just reading the westminster confession and saying hey you should accept this as, uh as as proof of the point i'm i'm trying to make here all of this is an ex- explanation of of what we see taught in scripture so if you go into the westminster uh, there's you know good good editions of it have footnotes with all sorts of all sorts of scripture references um, and like i said I, I i i wanted to get the the recording down today so i did not make all the notes i wanted to but this is the ultimate point I'm making here, at the moment of the final judgment, there aren't any goats becoming sheep. It's done. And God decreed from eternity how many sheep there were going to be, how many goats there were going to be, and who was going to be what. And that is a very difficult thing for us, uh, because our human concept of what is fair and just, uh, says that we want those goats to be able to turn into sheep at any time they so desire. Let them live their truth. But the thing about the goats is, if the goats could turn into sheep, they wouldn't, because they're goats. And like I said, this is not the primary teaching of, of this passage. Uh, I don't even think it's something that someone, you know, I, I don't know that I would get into that from the pulpit Uh, but here for the sake of on my podcast where i can talk about whatever i'd like i'm just pointing out that for me that passage really kind of flipped the light bulb on where i went from keeping a distance to all right this is happening like i'm i'm diving in more to reform theology and that's not an overnight process. Like I said, I'm very thankful. Very thankful that I, I didn't have really have, like, the cage stage that a lot of people get when they, when they kind of embrace Calvinism. I, I didn't have to get in any fights over it. I didn't have to lose friends over it. <laughs> um, because it was a real slow burn for me. And a slow burn that has ultimately led me to be where I'm at. Uh, some people at our church have joked that, I probably need to put a one-line through the Baptist on my title. I don't know if I'm ready to do that or not, but uh, but it's getting there. I mean, I'm just... Full disclosure, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm starting to identify a lot more on the Presbyterian side of that title uh, than on the Baptist side. But that's a discussion for another day. And one that I'd like to... You know, hash out a couple different ways. I'm hoping to have I, I'll I'll keep threatening to have guests on until one day I finally do. But I'm hoping to have a few different people on at different times to discuss baptism deeper, to discuss church polity deeper. Um, I was even thinking about my church, my episode a few weeks ago about uh, congregationalism versus Presbyterianism, and that accountability was all of it. But you know, there's there's deeper arguments there. I I barely. St- I just barely scratched the surface so I could make a point about accountability. Um, There's a lot more there. So uh, anyway, that's going to, I think that's going to wrap it up for me today. I did want to read for you one more thing. Uh, I hope this is edifying for you. It it sure made my day when I read it yesterday. This is from uh, The Christ of the Covenants, O. Palmer Robertson. And this is closing out his chapter on the covenant of promise. Uh, Given to Abraham. The pleading voice of the patriarch had urged, How can I know? How can I be sure? The solemn ceremony of covenantal self malediction provides the Lord's reply I promise. I solemnly commit myself as Almighty God. Death may be necessary, but the promises of the covenant shall be fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, God fulfills his promise. In him, God is with us. He offers his own body and his own blood as victim of the covenantal curses. His flesh is torn that God's word to the patriarch might be fulfilled. Now he offers himself to you. He says, take, eat. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant shed for many. Drink all of you of it. Good day.